0: Holy Spirit, um, but it's the perfect setup to what we're talking about today. Um, I want to talk about why, uh, why do we disconnect? And it's something that we just do as people, as humans. I'm not, I'm not sure um, if I'm the only one who's ever done this. Maybe I am. I'm not afraid to admit my own stupidity at times. But yeah, there's times when I go through Uh, seasons, both with people and with God, where I'll just purposefully disconnect and just stay that way for some period of time. And it's so dumb and fruitless. And it's just a waste of time. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever done that. But, uh, man, if we could eliminate those times, if we could eliminate those seasons from our lives, how much more productive would we be as Christians, how much more happy would we be as people? Uh, so that's what we want to talk about today is just uh, eliminating those those dead seasons where we're just, I, I preached one time about Maverick from Top Gun. You guys, who's seen Top Gun, yeah? And he's in the middle of the big dog fight at the end, right? And then he like, he just zones out, like he gets all emotionally caught up. He lost Goose, man lost his buddy and he just starts flying away from the dogfight. and the, there's music <laughs> and the and uh uh the other the other pilots are screaming at him over the radio re-engage maverick re-engage re-engage you know they're yelling at him and he's just kind of flying away and uh and i preached on look sometimes that's a healthy thing you just got to kind of take a break from the battle you know uh, uh reorganize yourself Get all your emotions back together, and then re-engage. Uh, but it's not okay to just stay away from, from what you're called to be doing. Sometimes it's healthy to take a quick break, and then get back into it. What we're talking about today is whenever you get stuck in that away point, right? And you're not re- engaging, and you're just disconnected. Maybe you're disconnected from God, but maybe you're like disconnected from your wife or your husband. Maybe you're disconnected from your kids. You know, there's relationships in our lives that are important. God put them there for a reason. And they're supposed to be strengthening us. They're supposed to be motivating us. And if we disconnect in those relationships, especially if they're in our home, that's a problem. That's a, that's a big problem. It's almost as big of a problem as if we were disconnected from God himself. You've got to realize that the relationships God put in your life He put them there to serve a purpose. And to disconnect from those God-ordained relationships is to disconnect from the plan that God has put in your life. It's serious business. All right? So let's talk about this. You can, I mean, look, sometimes you just don't care. Right? How many of you guys have ever been there before? I don't care anymore. (laughs) I was on the way to the coffee shop last night to get on. I always do this before I preach. I, I, I had the idea, and I knew what I was going to talk about two weeks ago, but I always, the night before, I go, I spend time. I must have been at the coffee shop for like three hours. Five, five hours? No way. <laughs> it felt like five because she was home with both of the kids by herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I go to the coffee shop and get all my thoughts in order I make sure I make sure everything's well organized inside my brain and I, I get in the car and I'm and I'm just I'm still open to Holy Spirit I know what I you know what I want, what I thought about preaching on and talking about but I'm still open to Holy Spirit like okay there's all kinds of things I could talk about even I was talking with Belinda before I left I don't really know what I'm going to be talking about I know what I told Jared I'm going to talk about <laughs> but I could change that So I'll get in the car, and the first thing that comes on the radio is, I don't care anymore. I'm like, "Ah, that's a stupid song. I change the channel, and the exact same words are in that song. I don't care. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm preaching about. (laughs) Whenever you just don't care. Sometimes you don't even care that you don't care. I I know I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) All right? The only thing worse than apathy is apathy toward apathy. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a big problem. And uh, I would love to say that it doesn't happen to people, but it does. You could call it selfish; it is. You can call it callous; wrong, it is. But it happens. We all go through those times when we just don't, we just don't care. How do we stop that? How do we get out of that? How do you fix a problem that you don't care about fixing? (laughs) How many of you guys got work that you need to do at your house, right? Like, I got a leaky faucet. (laughs) We've been in our house for over two years, and this leaky faucet was leaking the day we bought the house. I need to fix the faucet. But no, I just hook up a water hose to it, and then I just kind of put the water hose over there in the flower bed, and I just say, oh, these plants are going to be great. <laughs> How do you fix a problem you don't care about fixing? You've got to care about the problem first, right? We must break through the apathy. We have to. Look, this is the damage it can do. If you don't care, it can injure your relationships, obviously. It can cripple your destiny. It can steal your joy. There's no faster way to fall into depression than apathy, and it's a vicious cycle because depression leads to apathy, and then apathy just leads to more depression, which leads—it's a—it's a vicious cycle. I eat because I'm unhappy, <laughs> and I'm unhappy because I eat. Austin Powers, in case you're wondering. Let's jump to Romans 12. If you got your Bibles, jump to Romans 12. We're also going to read from Nehemiah and Ezra today. So if you want to, you know, stick a finger in those books you can. Just hold your place, a bookmark, a pen, something in Nehemiah and Ezra. But first, let's go to Romans 12. Don't you wish like the phone app like had a put a finger there? <laughs> so that way, whenever you're in the middle of a sermon and the guy speaking gives you like eight books that they're going to read through, you're going to be like, okay, let me just bookmark all of these. So then you don't have to... Anyways, somebody needs to call the maker of that app. Hey, man, you need to have a finger function. <laughs> Is apathy a bad thing? I, I want to make the separation. There, There are times whenever we need a healthy distance. Okay? That's not what we're talking about today. Right? Like... I want to be close to my wife, right? I, I don't want her glued to my shoulder as I go through every single day just like talking in my ear constantly. Th- there's a healthy space there, right? Sometimes I need to just like go to the coffee shop by myself and get ready for a sermon or not or do whatever, right? There's some, there's such a thing as healthy space. That's that's not disconnection. It's not really what we're talking about. Disconnection is when I don't feel like my wife understands anything that's going on in my head or in my life or in my heart and I really don't want to talk to her about it I'm just going to go on my own that's a disconnection so when we talk about apathy we're not talking about just keeping an even keel like there's times in your life when you have highs and you have lows and you have an even keel and you're just like I'm not, just, I'm not going to get too happy I'm not going to get too sad I'm just going to keep an even keel that's, that's not what we're talking about that's a, that's a healthy thing Apathy is when you just really don't care at all. Having an even keel, you still care about stuff. You just don't let, it, you don't let your emotions make your decisions for you. But when you're apathetic, you really don't care at all. So th- it is unhealthy. Apathy, disconnection, whether it's with God or with people, it's unhealthy. Uh, let's read Romans 12. We're starting at verse 9 love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves alright here's the key line never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord it goes on be joyful in hope look it doesn't say be frustrated in hope (laughs) it doesn't it, it says be joyful in hope It doesn't say be nervous in hope, like, oh, man, I hope this check comes through. No, that's being nervous in hope. It says be joyful in hope. Hate what is, oh, wait, uh, patient in affliction, right? Not accepting an affliction. Don't have a victim mentality, but be patient in affliction, knowing that God's going to change it. Be faithful in prayer. Don't just pray for the sake of praying. Pray because you believe something's going to happen. It's talking about putting uh, 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 some reality behind what you're doing. Not just doing things. Not just going through the motions. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Here's another key verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. Guys, you got to care. you got to care. If somebody else is happy, be happy with them. Don't just be like, okay, that's good for you. If somebody is sad, be sad with them. Don't just be like, hope you get through that. You got to care. The Lord's telling us to care. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. And it goes on and on. This, this is an amazing tra- chapter for just general Christian living. How do you act like a Christian? Go read Romans 12. Follow the instructions. But you get the idea that it's important to God that we stay connected with the people around us. It's important to God that we actually care about what's going on in other people's lives. So what causes apathy? There's a process to it. Technically speaking, the word apathy, it, it refers to like your goals. Okay, so you have important goals that you really want to work toward, right? And it, when you're apathetic, you really just don't care about, you don't have an impulse to chase those goals. Okay, so if a person doesn't have any goals, it's, it's not really technically apathy. Uh, that's just called boredom. Or, right, or depression, but it's interesting because boredom and depression are actually cornerstones in the process of becoming apathetic, right? but for today's purposes, let's just say that our goals are, because this is a general goal that we all have, uh, that we want to be closer to the people that we love, whether it's our, our spouse, whether it's our kids, whether it's God, whether it's our coworkers, whoever it is, we all have people that we love and we want to be closer to those people. So let's just say that that's our goal. That's our very important goal. And let's talk about whenever that goal is just not very important to us anymore. right? So here's what happens. There's generally unmet needs. In a relationship that spans through the course of years, uh, there are certain actions and affections that come and go, and sometimes... They rise up into importance, and they're very prominent in the relationship, right? Like when you first met your spouse, you probably held hands a lot, and that was really important. But then when you got married, maybe holding hands, it was kind of cool, but it's not really that important. Uh, do you understand what I'm talking about? Yes. Right? there's just certain things that are important as you stay in close with somebody. Oh, look, that's cute. They're, they're holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> And then those things kind of fade away and they're not as important anymore. But here's the problem. What happens is sometimes you feel like something's still important. But the person you're in a relationship with, they don't feel like it's as important anymore. So now you have a need where you want to be holding hands. I want to hold your hand. That was good singing. You know it was. Come on. Give me some credit here. That's falsetto You want to hold hands, but that person's like, you don't need to hold hands. (laughs) Pow, unmet need, right there. This is how unmet needs come. You have a feeling that something is needed from the other other person, and they don't feel like they need to do that. So what you have is an unmet need. And unmet needs, uh, they can lead to boredom, they can lead to uh, depression, these are, this is the process. Right, right. Right. Look, first there's an unmet need, and then you start thinking, well, they're never going to meet that need. They're done with that. I'm hopeless. We're not going to be as close as we used to be. I read it somewhere. It said hopelessness is the other side of the coin to apathy. So you, you have this need... For affection or for protection or whatever it is for help the need is unmet so immediately you start thinking they're never going to meet it and that leads into depression you're sad sad face and that leads to trying to substitute that need or the other route is you go from boredom to distraction right I'm bored in this relationship. They're not meeting my needs anymore, so what good are they to me? I'm going to find something else to entertain myself. That's a distraction. And then what you do is you just find something else to meet that need. And what happens a lot of the time is whatever you find to substitute that unmet need, it becomes an addiction. It can become an unhealthy addiction, especially if it's hidden. That's really bad nothing will destroy you faster than a hidden addiction. And it all comes from, you have some need, you felt like needed to be met, and it wasn't met. And so you had to try to substitute. Right? And so then you're here substituting, and then what happens to that relationship? You really don't care about it anymore because you found something else. Hello apathy. So what about God? I mean, we can all see how this happens with people, right? It, it, it happens. But what about God? What, do we have unmet needs with God? I thought he meets all of our needs, doesn't he? Let, let me just say, I, I have a son. My son's in kindergarten. He's a kindergartner. And, uh, and I don't wipe his booty anymore when he goes to the restroom. <laughs> We're past that. But if Nathaniel feels like I need to do that for him and he has this feeling inside like, man, dad used to wipe my booty for me and now he doesn't anymore. I feel like he should still be doing that for me. And I'm like, dude, you're a kindergartner. I handle it. <laughs> you take care of yourself. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. The psychological impact is the same. He feels like there's a need there. He feels like that need is unmet. Pow, unmet need. So with God, maybe we feel like God needs to be meeting something, and God is like, look, you're a kindergartner. Handle it. You're a grown-up kindergartner. Come on. I feel like, here's a good example, debt. Debt. How many of you guys have prayed, Lord, help me get out of debt. Help me get out of debt. Lord, I got to get out of debt. Oh, I got to get out of debt. Lord, help me. Help me get out of debt. Meanwhile, you're still in basically the same debt, right? And then now you feel like, man, God's not meeting my needs. I've been praying about this, and he's not, he's not doing anything. Now you feel like you have an unmet need. Meanwhile, God is like, dude, cut some expenses. Get a second job. You're a full-grown kindergartner. Handle it. Handle it. So while God will meet all of our needs, it doesn't mean that we can't have that psychological effect of feeling like God's not meeting our needs. Sometimes it's just we're on two different pages. We're on two, di- two different pages. Excuse me. Almost, I choked on my breath, if that's possible. <laughs> I dare you to try that. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at, though. It's perspective. I feel like there's a need there. God's saying, "No, I don't need to help you there. You've got that. Do it. Handle it." But if I feel like God's not helping me where I want to be helped, I'm liable to just say, "Whatever. I just won't pray anymore. I handle it my- fine. You want me to handle it myself? I'll handle it myself." Next thing you know, my prayer life is shattered. This is what happens. That's a that's not good. That's not good whenever we take that sort of attitude of of if God's gonna leave me out to dry, you know, then I'm just gonna fine, then I'll just go out on my own. I just won't talk with God anymore. That's fine. He can love me, I'll handle it myself. And then you come across a a problem where you really do need God's help. God really does want to meet a need. But meanwhile, you're thinking, God don't want to meet my needs. He just wants me to handle it myself. And God's like, Why do you not cry out to me? Why do you not call out to me? I want want to be there going through these things with you. I want to be connected to you. Jared says it all the time: God wants no space between us. That's his goal. He wants to be glued to our shoulder. (laughs) Right? This is what he wants. You guys, think about it. If you're a guy, I know you've been here, where your affections were rebuffed. (laughs) If you're a guy, I know you've been there. Ladies, I don't know, but guys, I know it it probably happened in high school, right? You sent the the little love note like, you know, will you be my girlfriend, check yes or no, and then you get it back and it's checked no. (laughs) Where you wanted to be close, but the other person was like, nah, I'm okay, that, that you have this like feeling of, dang, that stinks. <laughs> even, it happens even in marriage, you know. <laughs> it does, it does. It happens even in marriage where you're like, I'm married to you. We are one. Why are you always on the other side of the house? <laughs> it happens. You want to be close to somebody, but they're just kind of like, well, no, this distance is perfect, <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 this is the distance that we need, and they're like, no, no, you're smothering me, <laughs> right? You're you're too close. You're, you know what it feels like when you want to be close to somebody, but they want their space, and you know that feeling that is like, ah, uh, it's kind of lonely, it's kind of sad, it's kind of kind of disappointed, you know. So, you know how God feels, don't you? Because God wants that no space between us thing. But we kind of want to be independent. Boy, especially as Americans. You're right? I want to be able to take care of myself. I'm a big boy, I got my britches on. And God's like, man, i I want to be close. I want to be tied to you. I want to be bonded to you. When there's that sort of two different agendas thing going on, what happens is somebody stops caring. Somebody stops caring. It happens in marriage, like I said, you know do you have the two different two different ideas of what's the perfect space so either the person who's getting smothered or feels like they're getting smothered they just stop caring and they stop complaining or the person who feels like they're so far away they just stop trying and they stop caring and it introduces all kinds of problems and when we have that situation with God he's not the one who stops caring it's us We're the ones who drift and drift and drift. And then suddenly we're in church and we're like, Lord, give me back my first love. And he's like, I I never took it away from you to begin with. (laughs) You left it back over there, right where I'm standing. (laughs) How many of you guys have prayed that prayer? I know I have we are like God. Give me back my first love, and then Monday morning rolls around, and you're, <laughs> you're the same as you were the previous Monday morning. Life. How how do we fig- how do we stop this cycle? You know, there can be a number of solutions. Sometimes just identifying the psychology that's going on, sometimes that's enough. And you're like, oh, wow, light bulb. <laughs> I see what's going on now. I feel like God needs to meet this need. He doesn't feel like that's a big need. Problem solved. <laughs> but if you're not, you know, like typically guys, that, that'll work because guys are kind of, they just like, well, it's logical. It makes sense, right? I understand the psychology of what has happened in my brain, I can reverse that psychology. I can start thinking a little bit differently, and I can reconnect with God, and we can be excited about one another again, right? I can be excited about him. He's never stopped being excited about me, but suddenly I remember how excited he is. Like, oh yeah, God, you're excited about me, aren't you? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> but sometimes it's not enough just to realize what's going on, especially like if you're a feely person right you're like you're like i just feel like there's a there's still a problem <laughs> how many of you guys how how many of you guys out there have a wife like that go ahead raise your hand don't raise your hand <laughs> no but seriously it tends to be it tends to be women who just have that feel they just feel it's an incredible ability i, I praise god that they that that he made women like that that they can just feel things my wife she always just can just like feel what's going on in a room and i'm like uh oh. <laughs> Where'd you get that? <laughs> so they'll like feel, well, so then if you understand the psychology, but there's still that feeling of, I just don't feel motivated. I just don't feel excited. How do you, how do you fix that? Or sometimes you have a problem that they're just, or a person who they're just not motivated to fix the problem, like we, we talked about a little bit ago. Like how do you fix a problem you don't care about fixing? What, do you, what about that person? Typically those are teenagers. Yeah. I'm talking to you, man. <laughs> he looked behind him. Uh, no, but yeah, a lot of times teenagers, they're just like, okay, you're disconnected. What's the problem? Can I go out with my friends now? <laughs> right? I don't understand. And, and the parents are like, you used to be my little boy. <laughs> you're not my little girl anymore. I want to be close to you. Let's be besties. <laughs> and they're like, uh no <laughs> no I'm going to Walmart <laughs> what are you going to Walmart for to be with my friends you guys buying anything no see you later they're disconnected they really just don't even care how do you deal with that person you're gonna explain the psychology of it to them listen here I want you to listen to me here's what's happened I've got to go mom <laughs> right they don't even have the attention span to really like hear what you're saying because they don't really care they got other things going on look my friends on Pinterest are waiting for me <laughs> or not Pinterest uh, enter your social media of choice how's that they're waiting for me <laughs> I've been offline for three hours I'm starting to get texts from those people who know my number. <laughs> so here's what you've got to do. You have to find a different strategy other than understanding the psychology of things. That's, that's good for some people. It's just not going to work for everybody. We're going to jump over the Nehemiah now. Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. When you're praying about this problem, because if you, if you love God, you talk to God about the problems in your life, even if it's your own, like, God, I feel like this is a problem. I just don't care about you as much as I used to. Talk to God about it. He's not scared. He's not intimidated. If you tell God, look, I just don't care about you anymore, you know what he's going to say? Hey, thanks for bringing this up. Let's talk. Yeah, talk to God about it. When you're praying about it, though, realize what you're asking for is not a quick fix. It's a plan. Because every relationship has two parts. You plus God. You plus your wife. There's always It's you plus somebody, which means you've got to be a part of the solution. You can't just be like, God, fix this. Right? Like going to a counselor... Uh, if you go to a marriage counselor or something and, and you just want the counselor just to fix everything, what are they going to tell you? Okay, change the way you think about this. You've got to take part in the solution. So when you're praying about something like this, really a lot of relationship-based problems, you're not asking for a quick fix. You're asking for a plan of action. Like, God, what, what can I do? And then you've got to be prepared going into and coming out of that prayer session. You've got to be prepared To do something, right? To take some sort of human action. This is not on Holy Spirit to fix, right? You've got to be a part of the solution because you're part of the problem. Does that make sense? All right, so you know what? Honestly, that's a good philosophy to apply to every prayer. God wants to be partners with us. He doesn't want to be our babysitter. Oh, heavenly babysitter. Susie pulled my hair. (laughs) He wants to be partners with us. All right, so Nehemiah 2.17. How many of you guys know uh, the story of Nehemiah? Okay, Nehemiah was serving the king. He was the king's cup holder, and he found out that back in Jerusalem, they're all like sad and disgraced because they don't have a wall. The wall has been torn down. So he talks to the, he prays, and then he talks to the king. And the king's like, "Dude, let's solve this problem." And the king straight hooks him up with everything he needs. I mean, we're talking. Here's a letter to the keeper of the royal forest. Get as much need wood as you need, whatever you need. Here, take all the gold. I tell you what, I'm going to send military troops with you just in case anybody messes with you. The king was all about fixing the problem. So Nehemiah goes. And he, uh, he gets there, and he, he kind of just chills for like three days, just kind of, let me get a feel for the things. Let me, let me do some reconnaissance. And then he goes out in the middle of the night on like a donkey, and he just kind of rides along, and he's looking at the wall. He's, he's surveying, figuring out what do we need to do to solve, this problem or to solve this problem. Then he goes to the people, and this is what he tells the people. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I want you to pay attention to that last word, in disgrace, because me, as a dude, I'm thinking, whoa, they don't got a wall? What if somebody attacks them? They are defenseless. They are vulnerable. But in every single version of the Bible, defenseless is not the word that Nehemiah said. Vulnerable is not the word that Nehemiah said. He either said disgrace or reproach. Now look, I don't know how many words you can come up with to describe a disconnection from God, but disgrace would probably be at the top of the list. The, the wall was not an issue of defense. Look, these people are protected by the Most High God. He's a little bit stronger than a wall. A little bit. The problem of the wall was it was evidence of a disconnection from God. Do you realize that when Nehemiah went, and he went, and they finished that wall in like two months, 52 days, they built the wall. It was 444 B.C., okay? The temple, the temple, of God had been completed, rebuilt, and in operation for 82 years in Jerusalem. So God called uh, uh, Ezra and got on the king's heart at that time period to rebuild the temple, and they rebuilt it, and they got it back all up and running in 516 B.C., okay? And then so here they are in full-on like, yeah, we got the temple rolling. Let's get the wall built, Let's build this wall up. So they try to build the wall. But a new king had come, and some people sent a letter to that king. So let's read that letter. This is in Ezra 4. Ezra 4, verse 11. This is the copy of the letter that they sent to him, the king. It's a new king. To King Artaxerxes. From your servants, the men of Trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the Jews who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Look, the the, the temple was already done at this point. The temple was already rolling. People are coming and making sacrifices. The temple is going. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid and the royal revenues will suffer. Lies, just lies. Now, since we are under obligation to the palace and it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored, we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors. In these records, you will find that the city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place of rebellion from ancient times. That is why this city was destroyed. We informed the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in the trans-Euphrates. So the king sent this reply. Look, man, these guys are just liars. Just liars. Man. To Rehum, the commanding officer Shimshai, the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in uh, Samaria and elsewhere in the Trans-Euphrates. Greetings. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made, and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against the kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem had powerful kings ruling over the whole of Trans-Euphrates, And taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work, so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? And as soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum and Shimshai, the secretary, and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop so the temple had been built they're excited now they're going to rebuild the wall but people start lying about them the king goes and finds some records from the past that substantiated that lie next thing you know they're disallowed from building the wall and that remained for you know like i said the temple was finished and 82 years later is when the wall was finally finished So, in that period of time, the Jews in Jerusalem had an an unmet need, didn't they? Right? An unmet need. They needed royal support, they needed support from the king, and they weren't getting it. They had a goal, an important goal, which was to have a wall. And on the line of, or, or in the process of working toward that important goal, there was an unmet need, which was support from the royal household. Are you guys kind of seeing where I'm going for this? With this, what do unmet needs lead to? Apathy. So for 82 years they didn't even really try, or for somewhere in that range they didn't even try. So when Nehemiah gets there, he's not worried about the defenses; he's worried about the disgrace. Look, let's rebuild this wall because we're in disgrace right now you guys have gotten disconnected from god you've got an unmet unmet need and are you really going after him about it how long are these ruins going to sit here and you're going to how long are you going to look like a ruined city let's fix this problem the problem wasn't the appearance of the city the problem was the people's heart connection to god the problem was apathy if they really wanted to fix those walls they would have found a way they would have cried out to God God would have changed some hearts like Nehemiah cried out to God God changed the king's heart let's solve this problem it only took two months 82 years between finishing the temple and the wall only took two months to build the wall This is what apathy does. Remember when I talked about crippling your destiny? Don't let apathy grow. Don't let it set up shop in your heart. It will cripple your destiny. So if you have apathy in a relationship, here's an idea. First, talk to God because he may have a better solution than what I'm going to say. Right? God, he knows what's going on in people's hearts, and he, he's, I'll tell you what, man, God's got the cleverest solutions. You've got a problem, he will think of something that you did not think of, and he will just drop it right into your download, and you're like, whoa, well, that's a good idea. That's just so crazy it might work, right? <laughs> that's just how God rolls. He loves coming up with the crazy stuff that actually works. But if we're going to think of this story of Nehemiah, Here's my recommendation. If you have apathy or disconnection in your family and people just don't really care anymore, hey, build something. Build something. I had a friend in high school who d- just didn't have a good connection with his parents, right? And he was getting into all kinds of trouble. You know what his parents did? They said, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's paint your room. You can pick the color you whatever you let's let's buy a new desk let's buy all new furniture for your room let's remodel your bedroom and you can be in charge and so it started this project and he and he grew close to his parents through this project of remodeling his bedroom is that not cool and that's not even that far-fetched i mean just think about that for a minute that's a pretty simple solution something about building a project where multiple people have to be involved. Something about that galvanizes people. It worked with the Israelites, the Jews in Jerusalem. It galvanized them. They came together. After the wall was built, they had massive revival. Go read the rest of the book of Ezra. And The way it's set up is, is the book of Ezra talks about the rebuilding of the temple and the revival. But in between that book took place the book of Nehemiah. Does that make sense? So first the temple was rebuilt. Then Nehemiah came, and the wall was rebuilt, and then the people had massive revival and all kinds of awesome reformations and all their behaviors got changed and fixed. It was really cool. something about construction galvanizes people, yeah, you understand what i 'm saying so think of a think of a project that you can do uh, with whoever you feel like may be disconnected maybe it 's painting a room in your house maybe it 's building a garden um, uh, maybe it's a community project. Maybe you're going to get together and maybe offer some volunteers to support to clean a park or something. I don't know. Uh, y- you know what? Growing up, my aunt she used to do this thing where she makes a big strip at Christmas time, a big strip of, rib- of rib- ribbon, excuse me, a big strip of ribbon, and she glues twenty five Hershey Kisses to it. Okay, and every day we get to eat a Hershey Kiss as we count down to Christmas. It's a really cool little thing. And there's a nice little poem at the top that she found on the internet. Look, my aunt's been doing this since I was like 12 years old. And it's become a family tradition. Well, at some point, I was like 22 years old, so this has been going on like 10 years. Whoa, dude, there's an alien here. <laughs> so for like 10 years, this has been going on. And my aunt's like, I don't want to do it this year. It's too much work. You know what I said? I was like, what? No, no, no. We got to have these ribbons with the chocolate countdown. We got to have that, Nancy. So you know what I did? I went with my brothers over to her house and we all got together and we had a big party of making these silly little ribbons. It's amazing how doing these sort of projects together galvanizes people. It creates connection. So think about your relationships that you have. Talk to God. See what kind of idea he has. He'll probably think of something pretty cool and you can grow closer to the people that you want to be closer with. Yeah? More importantly, talk to God about the areas where you've kind of just stopped caring about your own destiny. Maybe you've lost some motivation. Maybe you've lost a little bit of inspiration, like, I just don't feel like, woohoo anymore. Talk to God. You know what he may tell you? Hey, let's build this thing. Let's do this. Let's just do this one little project that has to do with, with my kingdom. Let's just do this one little project that can contribute to, to my cause. You know, and he'll always think of something that you could get into. That's the key part of this. Find something that everybody could get into. Look, if you want a flower bed and then you also want to connect with Jacob, but Jacob couldn't care less about a flower bed, it's not really gonna connect you guys. He's just gonna be like, Whatever, I'll give it to you for Mother's Day. <laughs> Cause he couldn't care less about a flower bed. I'm just using you maybe you do care about flower beds, dude. I'm sorry. Hey look, I'm sorry, man. I'm all for flowers, Jacob. You see what I'm getting at, though? Find something that everybody is able to contribute to and everybody is able to benefit from, right? So that way everybody can get excited about it. And just watch how this creates connection, how it creates excitement in relationships. And what, this is like a, I'm telling you, it's a biblical cure for apathy. Let's work on something together. You know, we, used to, we had a lot of construction going on at the church here, and it was so frustrating because it was never finished, It was like always going on, right? And then everybody kind of got bored with it. But you know what? When I think back, there were some really cool times with the guys getting up here when we built this thing, you know. and we all had to go to the Ace Hardware together and try to figure out what kind of hooks we needed. And it just kind of galvanized us. I, I tell you what, man, Kyle and Jared, you know what they really get into? Building sound systems. This is why they're so tight with Steve now. I'm telling you, this is the truth. People get galvanized as they work on projects together. We, we were working on the coffee shop out there, and uh, uh, Bob Laird came by with his big miter saw, and we were out there working together, building stuff uh, for the foyer, and it, it it galvanized our relationship. The men got closer. Uh, the ladies, the same thing, man. They, they come up here, and they'll do decorations for uh, the church, different seasonal stuff, right? And, and uh, like women's mornings or whatever they're called. What are they called? Adorned, yes. I don't attend, so... I forget what it's called. <laughs> yeah, but they'll come up here and they'll work on like decorating for that and it'll, it'll galvanize their relationships. Okay, I'm beating the dead horse here. I'm sorry. You get the idea. This is all I got today. Take apathy seriously. Even if it's just a little bit. Even if it's just a little bit of I don't care. Take it seriously. Three things it will do. It will injure relationships. It will steal your joy and it will cripple your destiny. So take it seriously. A little bit of I don't care does a lot of destruction. Right? And think about something that you can do to fix that. Go to God. He'll have better solutions than I've provided, but maybe one of mine will help you. I don't know. Okay? We all good? All right, let's stand and pray. Look, I think this affects each and every one of us. I'm not, uh, Jared, Jared, I think, called out if there's a really big problem with this earlier during worship, and he asked you to step into the aisle if you had something that needed to come alive. That's directly tied to this, guys. But now we're going to kind of address it uh, just a blanket. Everybody kind of take care of yourself here. Find an area uh, where you, your passion is dwindled and talk to God about what you can do to fix that, okay? One, two, three, go.